But where did you grow up and how did you end up getting shot 27 times? you explain yourself now looking back as a 13 to 18 year old dangerous every day being a gangster every day being on the road it's an occupational hazard they got arrested with a machete i'm not on it you got caught with 500 bullets i went to 19 different prisons to 19 and i thought he was like that come here but he was trying to warm me that the shooters was down there you've been holding on to this for 40 odd years Last breath, she waited for the door to see it. <sighs> Welcome to the Eventful Lives podcast. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the founder of Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sport and music festival. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. If you haven't already, do us a favour, press the follow button and check us out at Dodge Woodall on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube, where we've now had over 80 million views. Daryl Laycock is an ex-member of Manchester's infamous Doddington crew. Having lost countless friends, Daryl shares his story on his violent past and how he was shot 27 times. This is the eventful life of Mr. Daryl Laycock. Daryl, welcome to the show, mate. All right, thanks for having me. Let's um, let's roll all the way back, Daryl. Where did you grow up, and how did you end up getting shot twenty-seven times? Wow, I didn't choose to get shot twenty-seven times, Dodge. <laughs> well, let's start at the beginning. Yeah. Um, I was born in Wivet in hospital, not too far from where I grew up in my side. But I would, at that point, I lived in the Bull Rings in Hume. It was like where all the black Caribbean kind of people, mixed race kind of people, started off Irish. You know this whole saying: no blacks, no dogs, no. You know, Irish. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Hume, moved to my side before I was eighteen months old. Um, loads of domestic violence throughout my life. Um, after my mum had me. My dad used my dad used to waste my mum all the time. She got with another man for protection. Had a kid to him. Um, what do you mean there? You used to waste your mum. Used to batter my mum all over the place. And when my mum was on a deathbed, um, I found I found a note. I found a note, and usually I wouldn't read the notes. Um, I found a note saying I was going to see through. And it, it still, it still, still hurts me to this day that my mum had to go through that. Do you know my dad was? He was a gentleman when he didn't have a drink, but when he had a drink, he was a horrible, horrible, evil, vile man. So yeah, so after I was born, my mum got with another man. Um, I, I had a brother who was born in December '74. I was born in October '73. Eighteen months later. His dad just come and picked him up one day and we've never seen him for 30 years. So my mum was, after that, my mum turned to drink. My mum, if truth be known, 
My brothers and sisters most of them won't like this. My mum was a what do you call it? alcoholic? Alcoholic. I don't know what what's the word? An addict. A functioning a addict. functioning alcoholic. alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and it, it all started round about then. And I had the house was spotless, we had everything we wanted. Do you know, but she used to have beer at night time, smoke cigarettes, fall through the day and beer at night time. She wasn't into drugs and all that. What was life like for you from that? You're talking about three, four years old and he's hearing the screams and hearing what's going on. What was life like for you at the age of sort of nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 in Mosside? Life, you know what? Life, I went on the streets to escape, to escape what was happening at home. To escape what was happening at home. It was horrible. The first person I ever seen get stabbed was my dad. My mum couldn't take it no more. She stabbed him in his chest and his shoulder and his arm. And after that, he never laid a finger on her again. I, I reckon if he did, she would have killed him the next time because she could only take so much. She'd never phone the police on him. She'd always forgive him. He'd always worm his way back in. But looking back now, he was a horrible, horrible, evil man. Is he still about to die? No, he died. He died about nine months before my mum. But I didn't, when I found this letter saying that it was conceived through I found it after he'd already died. And if I hadn't found it after he'd already died, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have got the funeral that he got. Do you know, he would have just got put on a skip or something like that. I most probably would have killed him, to be honest. And I'm not saying that to glorify anything, but my mum was my world and what he put my mum through. And like I said, I didn't find that out until she was on a deathbed. When but, did your mum pass? Yeah, March 2015. But it's like, normally she'd write notes and things like that throughout life. And I would never go into them because of privacy and all that. But I knew that she was dying. So I had to see what was in the notes. Do you know, it's, it just wasn't nice reading that. And then blaming yourself for all them beatings and everything that happened to her. Because she kept me, do you know? She didn't have to keep me, but she kept me. And then when I found that out, it was, it was painful. It's still painful to this day, to be honest. What was Moss Side like in the, in the 80s and 90s? Moss Side, it had a great sense of community. It really did. It was, a, it was like, like I said, blacks, Irish, English, mixed race people. Everyone was acceptable, accepting accepted each other. There was not really no racism in my side at that time. Before like the seventies and that there was, but not at that time. It was a thriving community. We had we had Alexander Park where I live next to. I still live there now in my childhood home. Um Are you still yeah. in your childhood home today? Yeah, yeah. Are you? Yeah, I've lived wow. there. Not what it is, I lived in a house at the back of that house mm. for the first eleven years and then I moved in there in July. July the 20th, 1985, and I'm still there now. So my side was a bustling community. We had a precinct, we had shops, we had pet shops, we had barbers, we had clothes shops, we had jewelers. Believe it or not, we had jewelers in my side. <laughs> <laughs> it was next to a solicitor's though. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, yeah, we had boxing gym, 
we had everything. What were you like as a teenager? I, you know what? I was a terrible teenager. Do you know what? I used to laugh and joke a lot. Everyone thought I was going to be a comedian and all that. And it's mad because someone come up to me about 18 months ago whilst I was walking around the park and said, Daryl, I never thought you would be the person you was. I used to tell people you're going to be a comedian. <laughs> the guy's called Darren Sewell, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, I was horrible. I was the second day in secondary school. I was I was suspended for punching a teacher. I was having a fight and the teacher grabbed me by the arm, so I just blasted her. I shouldn't have done it, but after that, she became my favourite teacher. I was getting suspended every other day. Every time I went back, I just get suspended. You know what? I've never really spoke about it. I've never really spoke about it because nobody wants to hear the scared little boy in the corner. Nobody will want to hear that guy. Do you want to hear the reformed gangster? Yeah, he's a bad man, this. But I was abused on two different occasions. I had two different times in my life. I don't want to go too much into it because... I don't want people to think that I'm doing this for pity and things like that because I don't want pity. And I live with shame all my life, but I was a young boy in it. You've been holding on to this for 40 odd years. Brave, Daryl. Brave to bring this up right now. You know, I, I have to bring it up because there's kids going through this. There's kids going through this. You know, I do some work with kids. There's kids going through this and they're not going to speak up unless people tell them to speak up. You know, like I said, everybody loves the gangster. They love the gangster this, they love the gangster that. But all these supporters and so-called supporters I've got, none of them wouldn't pay me any mind when I was active. They was all terrified of me and now they're all... Ah, oh, we support you, Dal. Don't support nothing. It's just that like you're not as scared because I've reformed, turned my life around. What was life like in your teens then? Obviously, there's a lot of trauma gone on here in your in your past that hasn't really been dealt with for forty odd years, and that must be really playing your mind over those years. Do you think that had a huge effect on the way you became in your teens, in your 20s and 30s? Yeah, because it, beca it, became, it became more violent and I knew what was at the back of my mind. Do you know, 13, I was selling heroin and crack cocaine on the streets. 14, 15, I was carrying guns. I was expected to shoot elder statesmen from different estates. It was, it, I just, it was my life. Do you know what I mean? A lot of people think I'm blase about it, but that was the life I chose. I had a choice. Do you know, it's and me going to jail. It was an occupational hazard. It was like a nine to five job in it, but it was a 24 hour job. Me getting shot 27 times on one occasion. That was an occupational hazard. Getting shot once on two occasions, stabbed seven times getting sentenced to 17 years, 10 months in jail, three different sentences, four different sentences. About four and a half, I've got, I've got four and a half, I've got four months, then I've got an eight, then I've got a five, five, 
five years or 14 days. Jeez. Just rolling back there, how did you end up selling heroin and crack cocaine at age of 13 and carrying guns at 14 and 15? My cousin, my cousin was a smacker than us. I used to... <laughs> I used to rob big, big. I don't know if you. I don't know if cigarettes still come mm. in big amounts. Like, you know, like you get the sleeve and yeah. then you get the big yeah, packets yeah, yeah, of the yeah. sleeve. I used to rob them, and I had loads of money. And my cousin blagged me to buy heroin because he was a smacker, and obviously he robbed me. Couldn't. What your own cousin robbed you? Yeah, yeah. He was a smacker, didn't he? Mm. He didn't have no morals. He didn't have no morals. But the same cousin. I was 12 and I got run over and he was happened he was happened to be walking down the street when I got run over and he actually he seen me on the floor and the guy who run me over it was my fault my cousin laid into him battered him all over him battered him all over the place and on that on that occasion I got a broken leg and a chipped elbow the car carried me about 60 feet and me being a survivor, I survived it. What's that feeling like at 15 carrying guns? I have to be careful how I answer this for the simple reason. I don't want to be promoting and glorifying things, but I felt like I was the man. Do you know? And I don't want these kids to follow in my footsteps because... Nobody's been shot at many times in England and survived. So obviously there's a God. Do you know? I know people that have been shot once in the leg and died. People that have been stabbed once in the ankle and died. So we need to make sure our kids ain't carrying it. But I felt powerful. I felt really powerful. How would you explain yourself? How would you explain yourself now looking back as a 13 to 18 year old? What character? Dangerous. Dangerous. I was 17. Went to get ham and cheese on toast with ketchup with my mate. Two of us went in the shop in the bakery. The enemy come in and killed him in front of me. So the war kind of like intensified after that. Really intensified. Tick for tat shootings on a daily basis basis you said the enemy who's the enemy people from our opposite estate of mine i don't even want to, i don't even want to name the estate because i don't see it i don't see them estates as finger because we're all on my side now i i talked to some of them now you know what i mean i used to go around with them before i was at war with them some of them i used to steal motorbikes with some of them ride motorbikes with them used to stay at one of the houses Two of the houses actually. And they'd used to come to my house for dinner and it. And why why were you at war with them? Was it to do with drugs? No, it was nothing to do with drugs. It started over women, you know, but the police obviously because it's an area where there's a lot of black people, con a concentration of black people, yeah, we'll just we'll just segregate them and say it's a drug war. Nothing to do with drugs. And I don't understand why all these people always get the label of drug wars. Who, who gives anyone the right to tell people where they can sell drugs? Because I'm not being funny or anything. When I was selling drugs, I'd sell drugs where I want because it's me that's going to 
risk going to prison. Nobody else, so nobody couldn't tell me. But everything's just drugs war, drugs war, territory. How far how far were you from each other, the postcodes? There's one road. So you were having a tear up with another one, road? There's just... one road between my estate and the opposite estate. So across one road, I Alec Road, Alec Road divided two estates. So for the listeners, give me an example. You had all your gang on one side and the other gang on the other side, and you're right, we're out to get each other over over girls. Over elder statesmen seeing the same girls and things like that. Yeah, but everyone will say it's through drugs, this, drugs, that. Drugs must have played a part because Manchester turned into Gunchester. That's no. the name for it and all over the press, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I was one of the instigators of the Gunchester name because I was one of the... I was one of the most active shooters back in my younger days, according to the police. Do you know? Um, yeah, but Gunchester don't mean drugs, does it? Mm. If someone gets killed and we carry on retaliating, it's it's not really drugs, is it? Mm. Obviously, drugs were the commodity that a lot of us sold. Some of us done robberies, some of us done extortion, some of us done burglaries. Some of us was legal, but still involved. What were you most active in? 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 age group uh, to earn a pound note? Drugs, robberies, taxing people. Mm. What sort of robberies? Robbing other drug dealers. Demanding money by menaces of other drug dealers. I was a real, I was a real hothead. I'm not going to say you because I'm not long, no longer here, but there was an elder guy that I looked up to more than anything and he knew how much of a hothead I was. So he'd, he'd tell me to go and start threatening these people. So it was like a little plan to get paid off and, and he'd go and bill them and we'd split the money. Give me an example of robbing other dealers, what you would do on some of the occasions. People get tied up. People get seriously injured. People will stay there until the ransom's paid. And some people never had no money, but they used to floss like they had money. So they got beat up, tortured for nothing. So if someone's in there going, Daryl, I have got no money, and you wouldn't believe them, they would have to go and find the money before you'd let them free again. Yeah, but uh, there was a few people that didn't cough up anything. And these was all people that I knew. These were all people that I grew up with, or they was older than me, and I was supposed to look up to them, but... I didn't look up to them. When you say hothead, how would you explain that? Just hothead, violent temper. Very, very angry. Obviously, it's because of the childhood and things like that. Very angry. Like that anger, 
Would you think about what happened to you with that trauma when you were yeah, always- doing something to someone, knowing what happened your dad was doing to your mum and what happened to you as a kid? Does that spring to your mind to go, right? People will know, when I say this, they're the one that watching, people will know that it's always in the back of your mind. And it's not always in the back of your mind, sometimes it's in the front of your mind. And these days, these nights now, these nights that I don't sleep, I just think about what happened throughout the life, not just not just that, everything, everything getting shot, seeing my mates get shot, that happening. What happened to my mum? My brother getting taken to Africa. Everything. Getting run over. My my little brother having open heart surgery. Open heart surgery. My brother going to jail for something he didn't do, for a shooting he didn't do. It all... It all plays on the mind. Did you know you were going to end up in Nick at some point? No, I thought, to be honest, I thought I'd end up dead. Everyone used to say Daryl's going to be dead by 21. So going to jail is mostly the thing that saved me on the occasions. And I was, I was active in jail in it. What age, what age did you go to jail first time? First time, 17. What for? Uh, possession of a firearm with intent to endanger life. Was found not guilty. Uh, once, you, once you get arrested once and the police know that you're making this name for yourself, they target you. And I tell these kids I'm working with, they might arrest you for something you didn't do. But you can't complain because every day being a gangster, every day being on the road, you get away with things. You don't go to the police station at the end of the day and knock on the door and say, well, I've done this and I got away with it. It's an occupational hazard. What sort of gun were you carrying around the whole time? I I, I had in possession of... I was in possession of a lot of different guns at a lot of different times. I can say that because I've got a gun conviction. So the the gun I went to jail for was a brown nine millimeter high power with hollow points in it, and I came to. What size is that? For someone listening. A nine What's millimeter handgun. Okay. Pretty chunky. I came to. How did you get caught with that? I wasn't caught with it. What it was, I was in a club in Liverpool. Me and my mate was laughing and talking to each other, just minding our own business, and some guy come over and starts saying. What are you laughing at? So, so, so I just punched him up. And not only, I didn't just punch him up. Everyone who was with me, there's about 17 of us. People were smashing champagne bottles on his head and everything. And he kept getting up. And then the police come. And we got off. And I, the gun was found around the corner. And after we got searched by the police and then, we previously had been cleared of a murder and the police kept me DNA illegally. So they found a low copy number. It's hard to explain this. Low copy number ain't supposed to convict you because that's how the Omar bombers got off that DNA. Um, but I was convicted of this. 
though before I was convicted, and when Barrister found out that the police kept the thing, the charge was dropped, it was dismissed, I was released from Kai. <laughs> but then it was like So you got banged you got banged up for that first one. For how long do you get? Uh, I was on I was on remand. Remand, yeah. I was on remand. Whereabouts were you on remand? I was in the strange race, Kai. I was I was in there for like six months and then it got dropped because they used a false some DNA. Um, and then it got dropped and then they went the police and the prosecution went to the house of laws to get permission to recharge me so at that time because I'd done remand they couldn't remand me again so I was on bail at that time when you were on bail what were you 21 years old no I wasn't for that one no that that, that gun one was uh, 2000 1999 mm -hmm. So I like 26. Mm. So they ended up getting an eight-year sentence. So I was on cut A. You got an eight-year sentence for what? For being in possession with a gun. Okay. With intent to endanger life. But it wasn't in my possession. But the same gun had been identified as the ballistics. having shot a few people. And I was going to bring the paperwork today, to be honest. Uh, a couple of the people say the person that let this gun off was Daryl. Didn't say Daryl Laycock, Daryl. So that didn't help when it come to it. But like I said, everything's happened for a reason in my life. And if that didn't happen, I'd most of them be dead. Did you feel relieved when you got your first big sentence like that, knowing you're going to be banged up, get an eight, and probably do four? No, you don't. You don't. That this is a this is a thing. This four years, you don't. When you get eight, when I got it, the first time I got sentenced was for um, I was I was arrested. No, I got not guilty on the guns, and then I was arrested for two attempted murders, machine gun attempted murders in nineteen ninety three. My trial, um, it was ninety two ninety three. I was on remand. Um, I got a four and a half year sentence, four years for drugs that I got caught with and six months for two bullets consecutive. And you don't do half your sentence, you do two first. So I done three years out of that sentence, plus added days for getting in altercations. And like you said, when you get eight years, out of that eight year sentence, I done five years, six months. Mm. You do two first, five years, four months, but I got 35 days on that sentence for having a phone. And then I got 42 days for having another phone in 2003. What was it like being in a Category A prison for the listeners out there? What's the difference of Cat A to a normal... You know what? You, you get treated with more respect. You get treated with more respect. The screws don't mess about with you. And it, people who go to jail know what it, it's like being in a sweat box, going to court and spending, spending the time in, re, in reception all day. You get, you get died through... A lot of the time, when you walk into visits or walking around the jail, whether you go into the doctor or you go into reception, you walked with two, two screws and a a dogman as well. Cuffed up. No, 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 no. But when you go to court, you're double cuffed, aren't you? But I went to nineteen different prisons. You went to nineteen. Yeah. And some of them I went to four or five times because they kept returning me. I was a security risk because I used to sell drugs in jail. I used to pay screws to bring me drugs in. 
It was having an affair with a teacher. <laughs> Hold on. You're having an affair with a teacher in, in Nick? Yeah, in one jail. And you know what? Uh, I, I have to be crude, but I have, I have to be honest. One time, she was <laughs> I was in a cooking class and I was making gingerbread biscuits. And I don't know if you've ever made them. I was sticky hands at with my hands in a bowl and she's tossing me off. So I'm stood up next to this, next to this counter and she's tossing me off and I know the teacher coming. So she let go and I had, I had to keep my hands in the bowl. So my cock was out against this like sideboard. Oh, nearly got caught. <laughs> and when you got, and in that time though, you're saying you're active. Give me an example of paying a screw. How do you pay a screw? What would they be bringing in for you? I can't really say what they brought in, but it's most of the bigger parcels than most men have seen out here. Uh, you know how I first got onto this? Go I on. seen this screw. I was talking to him. I was grooming him. He's young. He looked like Gareth Gates. Little, little pretty boy. I said to him, what car you got? He says, a Peugeot 306. I said, has it got alloys? He says, no. I said, it's got leather interior. He says, no. I says, would you like it to? And when he says, yeah, I knew I had him. Mm. I knew I had him. And then I, I got somebody to go and give him some narcotics, some phones, and some money for himself. But it's like everybody was on it. I used to get parcels thrown over the wall there. I was running Dovegate, 2001, 2003. I was there doing an eight-year sentence. So what age did you go in for your eight-year sentence and what age did you come out, roughly? 2000. How old were you? 27. So you went in, for, went in at 27? Yeah, come out five and a half years later. It should have come out five years, four months later, but obviously I got the 35 and 42 days for the fun. Mm. What were you like in Nick? You know what, I was very generous. I looked after everybody who was around me. Very generous. I looked after everybody who was around me. Um, I was generous. I was pleasant. I would only, I would only do jobs that benefited me or other prisoners. I wouldn't go in a workshop and work in a workshop because I'd also end up hitting somebody with a hammer. Um, I'd, I'd be a wing cleaner because I know I like cleaning wing surgery. You know, laundry, wing laundry. A lot of the jails I went to weren't allowed off the wing, obviously because I was violent and I might attack somebody on the movement because you have movement when it's time to go work or time to go gym, but all the wings got at the same time. So being one of the most dangerous men in the country at that time, were there people in Nick who wanted to take a pop at you? Not really. There was people on other wings, but we was we had our wings. We had our wings all right. Obviously there was enemies that have tried to shoot me and I've tried to shoot them. But it's it was rare we'd come across them. Back when I was in when I was seventeen, eighteen and I was in the YPs. What's the I, YPs? Young offenders. Mm. I used to I used to come across them all the time and I just used to run into them and get cracking with them. And then when I was in the YPs, 
they put me in the block for six months instead I was too violent to be on the roof on the wings so I had to stay in the block for six months and explain to me what the block is block solitary confinement where you don't get a bed you get a piece of board and a mattress you get a mattress and you have to add your mattress back in the morning but I had it I had it alright there's a Officer in there called Mr. Knowles he used to give me Darwin Burt's coffee, he was all right. And how long did you stay in the hole for? Six months. Six months? Yeah, and then they moved me to another jail. What jail was that first one? Six months? In there. Then they moved me to another jail called Morelands. And then uh, my friend was killed. My friend was murdered. He was supposed to come and see me on a Saturday, he was killed on a Wednesday. And um, so I smashed up myself and they sent me back to, they sent me back to Inle. Where's that? In, in Wigan, not okay. too far from Manchester, not half an hour from Manchester. How old are you? I want to roll back a little bit more. When you went and get, when you went and go for a bite to eat your cheese sarnie. Ham and cheese on toast. And cheese on toast. Where, what had to tell me that incident, exactly what happened that, that day? It was, uh, it was on the estate. We used to get up early, obviously, selling drugs. Um, them, them days, you didn't have pay-as-you-go phones. It's in 1991. You had contract phones, and it wasn't no them mm. little phones. It was big phones. So we'd done a bit of, done a bit of dealing on, on the estate. on a few phone calls, and every morning we used to go and get ham and cheese and toast with ketchup. And it's like, I don't know, it's like... Uh, it's like someone must have told them because we went there 30, 40, 50 times without no incident. And then one morning they come and we stood at the door looking out and we seen them coming to us. And we jumped over the counter and they followed us in and started letting off. Killed my mate instantly. And that, that just intensified things for everybody. And like the best guy ever, you know, he looked after everybody when nobody had money, he looked after them. If more people didn't have money to go out, he'd let them get in his car. Did you get shot out that day? I didn't, I didn't get shot that day. They, they, emptied the, they emptied the bullets into him and it's... I didn't get shot. Only one of them was shooting. Sometimes I wish it. I wish it would have been me. And then all the stuff that I'd gone through his childhood, it'd all be gone. Do you know? You know, I I always tell people that I had a good childhood, and when I think back, and now that I've been honest, I didn't have a good child. I had a good mum. I didn't have a good childhood. I'm trying to get my head around this gang war. You're going in to get a bite to eat and the other gang are just across the road. Were you not thinking every time you went in a restaurant or a cafe or a little bar that you are going to get popped off or shot at? Nah, because it's early in the morning, isn't it? But there was times where they'd be looking for us and we'd be looking for them and we'd miss them and then miss us because 
were going round and round. Do you know? It was it was what it was, and I'm just glad it's calmed down. Because I don't want to see no kids going through what I've gone through or through what other people have gone through. How many how many people are we talking here on your gang? How many people on the other gang? What was your gang called? There's hundreds. I'm from a place called Pepperill. And then it then it then we it went to Doddington after the Pepperill pub shut. I'm not even gonna name the opposite estate, but yeah, there was hundreds and hundreds of people. Obviously, people re refill people and people get killed or people go to jail. Do you know? There's always people wanting to join up. When you when you go to jail, a lot of people want to jump on the bandwagon because it's in jail, and then when it gets outside, to see that it's reality that they will die or they will go to prison for life. Do you know, most people don't know 80 people that have died through natural causes. I know over 80 people throughout the country that have died through being killed. This, and this, I cannot say that it's wrong for me to know that because I chose to know that because I chose the life that I lived. It's wrong that they died. None of us should have died. And and I, when I go to schools, when I go to schools, I don't just talk about people from my estate. I talk about people from the other estate because they shouldn't have died either. Do you know? I've spoke to some of their kids, some of their nephews, some of their nieces. And I've spoke to some of my mates, kids, nephews, nieces, and things like that. I've, I don't want my grandkids to grow up in people... You know, us, we don't know about generational wealth. We know about generational beef. Do you know? We always follow something and then could end up getting killed, could end up getting a life sentence. How did you personally react that day when you see your best mate get shot and killed? What's the first thing you've done? I left, I left, I had to leave, I had to leave, I had to leave, because I couldn't get, I couldn't leave him there, I had to get get rid of the thing that was there, in the vicinity, and leave, what's the chain reaction of things like that, you go back to your boys and tell them just what's happened? How's everyone's reacting? What's going on in their minds? What's their next steps? Everyone, everyone was devastated. Because it wasn't like... It wasn't like a foot soldier. He was like that man. What was his name? His name was Dabs. Dabs Samuels. So everyone was devastated. Was he the was he the main man at that time? I won't say he was a main man, but he was he was the man, if you know what I mean. He was the man. What's going through your head at that time? What did you want to do? So I wanted to bring him back. 
that day everything changed everything someone like that gets killed it's not like it's a nobody obviously we're all somebody I'm not saying anyone bigger or better than anyone seen him lay dead on the floor he wasn't a good look it's like these kids they might see the dead mum or they might see the dead grand or go to a funeral but when you see your mate get killed in front of you it's a different kind of trauma it's a different kind of picture how did that intensify the whole thing between the two gangs after that it's just tit for tat from there it went a lot busier, a lot more active, a lot more aggressive. I got caught with 500 bullets in 2008. I'm not You got f caught with 500 bullets? Yeah, that was my last sentence. Yeah, I got a five-year sentence for it. Jeez. That's mostly what saved my life. That's mostly the best thing to ever happen to me, other than my kids. Because it was on that sentence where I, I seen the light. But if I would have got back to Manchester, it was Carnival Day. And the Carnival, 100,000 people go there. If I would have got back to Manchester that day, or any other day, 500 bullets give some to so many people. So people would have got killed. There's no two ways about it. There's, so it's mostly a blessing in disguise of getting caught with them 500 bullets. Where did you get caught with them? McDonald's. So now I boycott McDonald's. The first time I ever got arrested, I got arrested with a machete in McDonald's. You got arrested with a machete? Yeah, when I was 14. The last time I got arrested was at McDonald's with 500 bullets. So At the age of? Yeah, that was 2008, 35, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, 34, August, 9th of August. Yeah, so I got I got five year sentence for that. So I want to go. I just want to roll back these sentences. The first sentence was eight years. No, the first sentence was four and a half years. Okay, and that was for. Uh, I was I was charged with two attempted murders, machine gun. I got found not guilty, and I'd been caught with two bags of heroin serving up. Someone with two bags of heroin, when the police come and got me, so I got four years for the two bags. People complain about getting four years now for a kilo. I got four years for two bags. What's a bag? Two £10 bags. Okay. In 1993. And people complain about getting four years for two kilos okay, now. Okay. And then you have to do two thirds of your sentence. Mm. None of this half sentence. Yeah. Do you know people think sentences have gone up? They've gone up in length, but they've come down because you only do half. Yeah. So I got a four and a half year sentence. Uh, I've done some remands for some shootings after that. Not guilty. Um, 97, I got a not guilty on stabbing somebody. Uh, it's alleged that I stabbed somebody and made him break dance to and sing Spice Girls music. If you want to be my lover, I deny all. I deny that bit. I was present. But I got not guilty under the ASA Evidence Act. You need to get my barrister on here. Mm. And we're, we're great mates now, Chris Dor Casey. He represented me from that case all the way up to 
we speak all the time. Mm. So you got four and a half. Got four How long were you out for again? How long were you out and back active again yeah, before you got nicked again? About 12 months. And then I got four months. But in that time I got, uh, I'd been charged. I'd been charged with uh, murder and cleared and got four months. You got charged of a murder within that 12 months period when no, you were out? No, before that, in 1999. Mm. Uh, and then, and then I was arrested for numerous murders over the, over the years. Not that I've done them, but obviously, like I say to the kids, if you make a reputation for you, it's going to carry in, it's mm. going to send you to jail for the rest of your life. And then I got a four-month sentence for... Uh, Driving whilst band taking a chase, a twenty mile chase. Uh, I was over on the other estate picking up this girl who lived next door to one of the arch enemies at the time, and the police come behind me and see me, pulled up at the side of me and told me to stop. And I so I not stopping, told to fuck off. So I took a chase. I only stopped, I only stopped to let her out of the car. They uh, was in a Vauxhall Corsa. I was in a 3.2 on the Legend. So they wasn't catching me. Uh, yeah, so I got four months for that when I went to court because they didn't show no ID. I didn't have no police lights on. I tried to use the excuse of it was gangsters trying to kill me. But the judge didn't buy that. They gave me four months. You've done that four months, come out. How long were you out for before you got nicked again? Uh, in that time, I'd been charged with the gun. I'd done six months for a man, and then it was thrown out, obviously, because they kept the DNA illegally. Uh, it was mad when I got charged for that gun. The original time, because I was on bail for this, this driving offence I got four months on, and I had to go sign on Monday, Wednesday and Friday and went to sign on at a police station. Loads of armed police running and arrested me in the police station. But it, it was mad because there was something in my dustbin at home. They went and searched my house and didn't find it. So something got put in the dustbin and obviously my family didn't know it was there. So when the dustbins went out, it got tucked to the refuse place, which I would have got, would have got eight years for that maybe. So then I got uh, the four months then I got the eight years. So when you come out of those eight years then, you're 32 years old, did you feel like you were a changed man or are you just more game? No, it's, it's, it's your life, isn't it? It's, like, it's your life. You can't, you can't just stop like that. But I used to use that excuse, you can't get a job and all that. So I've got to do this. But now I'm living proof that you can get a job. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I I go in schools and colleges. I've cut it. I've cut it down now because my mental health's got really bad recently. My anxiety, but you know, I, I come out in two thousand eleven after a five year sentence. Um, the home office said I was the most dangerous person in the northwest of England, so I wasn't allowed in Manchester for two and a half years. I had to go to a bail hostel in York for three weeks, and then from there I went to Liverpool and stayed there for eight months. 
did you ever have any trouble in Liverpool? Or were you just Manchester-based? When, when that guy got beat up at the club, when the gun was found out, was in Liverpool. I was caught in... My dad was in Liverpool with 500 bullets. I had a... I had a few sets to set set twos in Liverpool. I robbed some guy called Carl C and he's dead. He got killed a few years after. Nothing to do with me. And I shouldn't have done it because he was close with people that I knew, but I just saw an opportunity. And cut a long story short, he found out where I was. Him and someone else, and uh, they was waiting outside for me. But little did they know, I had a big chrome thing on me. And when they started shouting, I jumped in the car that I took off them, as well as some other things, and chased them. They went to, they thought they were safe driving to a police station, uh, Admiral Street Police Station. The next thing I hear, and I'm not saying I done it, I'm not saying who done it. They, they tried to drive in the car park and the, sh the car just got shot up. That they was in. A lot of people used to do that. Drive to police stations thinking they were safe, but when you start killing people, you're not safe anywhere you go. And that goes for me as well. When I was active, not saying killing people, when I was, I couldn't go down them places and get, think I was safe. I want to know why you had 500 bullets on you. Bullets, bullets was hard to come, to come across. Before, before that, before I was arrested for that, I was arrested for the biggest ever shipment of guns to come into the country up until that point in 2007, 2008. I got NFA'd and it's mad because when I started doing my work that I do in skills, this police guy started coming with me. He was like a big dog. He was like that main man who was investigating it. And he said, he said to me, Daryl, I nearly had you. I nearly had you. I was following you. But I didn't know whether you took a left or a right because I had to keep a distance. And he says, if I would have got behind you, you would have been gone. Mm. And my mate's got 20 years and 18 years for that case. But that's what I mean when I say as a god who gets shot so many times who gets lucky enough to take a left or a right and avoid 20 years and not only had that i had some of the things in the car i'm not saying what i had in the car but i had some of the things but this copper is kind of all right now where are we getting the guns from what country are getting them shipped in from I didn't say I was getting them shipped in. Mm. Why, guy? <laughs> dodge. <laughs> dodge is dodging. <laughs> I don't know where they was coming from. I don't know where they was coming from. Did but, that make you feel even but, more powerful knowing that all these guns were coming in and machine guns? Going, did you not have a care in the world for the knock-on effect of the amount of people's lives that could be really hurt here? whether it's someone got shot, because it's not that person got shot, whether it's their brother and sister and the family got to deal with it all. Well, you know what it is, Dodge? If you would have seen my friend on the floor, all of that guilt stuff goes out the window. 
I just wanted everybody to go the same way. Has there been a time where you thought, I'm actually going to lose my life this moment? Yeah, a few times. When I got shot 27 times, a bullet, they put the gun to, they put the gun to me head after they shot me all the time. They, it, the guy went like that and it, it just, there's a God, it just like, just skinned me head and just went to the other side. Do you know? But I was worried. I'd been shot in my arms, my back, my legs, my bum, my chest, my shoulder. And all I was worried about was this little scar here. Blood was pouring down my eyes. So I thought I was dying. But I got up and what? I walked to my mate's dad's house and asked him to get me an ambulance. And my mate's dad said, nobody come here. Move from me, dog. <laughs> The guy, I've been shot, and he's saying all that. And he was mad because the next day, when I told my mum, my mum went and smashed every window in the house with a baseball bat. Yeah. How old were you, roughly, when you got shot 27 times? Uh, I just turned 23. Just turned 23. Is there another time when you were close to losing your life? But the last time I got shot in 1997, I got shot in my leg. Where were you? The first time I ever got shot, I was in this park. I was going for food. I was going for food and I was, the night before I went to this food shop, it was called Unis. Um, God rest Mr. Bell. So um, I went there, I was like, hurry up, give me my food, you're going to get me shot. And I went, nah, man, you know I get shot when you come in, pure peace and vibes. So I was going there the next night. I was in the park, me and my mate, I was riding. Before that, I just had an SMG on me, you know what one of them is, isn't it? With a banana clip at the side. Mm. So I just put it down for the night and then was going food and then going to this girl's house. I was riding through this park. I seen someone jump out from behind a tree. So I jumped off the bike and let, it, let the bike go towards him, turn around and he shot me. He shot me underneath my foot. And it come out my leg. So I got around two corners and then I couldn't get no more. My mate got off. Then I got shot the 27 times. Uh, I just left the pub. That morning had been released without charge for a murder of someone. I had nothing to do with this murder. I definitely had nothing to do with it. This guy was my friend, but obviously I was on a different team at the time. But I got, my mate got charged with it. I got released and I thought, Nah, nobody can't fuck with me. So I was in this pub. One of my mates was like that, let me drop you home, you're drunk. I said, nah, nobody can't touch me. You know, I was being, being the big, big-headed guy that I was. And I walked home and then I seen him come from behind a wall. Five of them. I went, what? What? The fuck? And he just started emptying in me. I thought, fucking nail. And then I blacked out. I was on the floor, he put in the thing to me and uh, he let it go and then they got off. And miraculously, I got up and I walked to my mate's dad's house, which was like about 60 yards from where it happened. And he, he didn't let me. And then this guy who goes in this, because this house is a shabeen, you know, like a blues, illegal mm. gambling, illegal drinking. And uh, some guy was going there, got me in his car and took me, took me to the hospital. 
And, and when and when I was, I was getting wheeled in on a, an emergency, the armed police come up to me and went like that. Daryl, do me a favour. Give me lottery numbers for this week. <laughs> oh, you cheeky bastards. <laughs> yeah, and then the last time I got shot, I was talking to this girl outside the club. It was like 50 metres from the park where I got shot. It's just across the road. And uh, the mate was like that. And I thought he was like that, come here. But he was trying to warn me that the shooters was down there. But he was like that. And I thought, come here, come here. And I had, I, I had a finger. I had a tocker off on me. A what? A tocker off. It's like a Russian, like a Russian handgun. And before I knew it, I'd been shot in the leg. Um, three of them, they let off loads of shots, one hit me in the leg, and that nearly killed me. I went in hospital, I was in hospital for nine months. I got MRSA. Don't know if you know what that is. It was a super bug back in the day. People were just dying, mm. and I didn't die. They had to put me on my own ward because it was that contagious for other hospital people. And I was in hospital for nine months. That bullet's still in there. Um, I had, a, I had an external fixator. I remember, because the wound was open on Christmas Day, 1997. They closed the wound, so I was in hospital. I got a skin graft on uh, Christmas Day, 1997. And then I had a, because I had a pin inside, but because of the infection, they had to take it out. Then they put an external fixator. And it... What a mad life, Daryl. I survived, didn't it? Yeah. You know what? I, I, like you couldn't write this story. I was brought up. I was brought up. My mum used to say, no one has a right to kill you. Take your life. I'm the only person that has the right. I brought you into this world, so I'll take you out of this world. And I just lived by that. And she was right. Do you know, I always, when my mum died, I took it really, really bad because I was caring for her. I, moved, I was in Liverpool. I moved back to care for her. And I took it bad. I took it bad because I always thought I was going to die. Before my mum, I never thought that I'd live to see my mum die. Do you know? So my mum died the 3rd of the 3rd, 2015. It was horrible. I was there when she took her last breath. She had lung cancer. She was like 11 stone throughout life. Weight balloons went down. She was five and a half stone when she died. Mm. She was still, she was still cooking everyone's dinner up to the week before she died. And then she went to sleep for five days, five full days. And then she woke up and she went, what's been happening? And it was like having my old mum back. Mm. She said, what's been happening? Make us a cup of tea. And then following round and she died, man. Worst thing ever. It's mad because I shouted my daughter, my daughter lived with me. I shouted my daughter out of my bedroom and she come down. My mum seen her, my daughter kissed my mum. She took her last breath after she waited for my daughter to see her. She was given three months in December. 
This is why I never celebrated. I've not celebrated Christmas since my mum was a Christmas person. And it's just not right. I'm not celebrating my birthday either. Because that was my mum's day. <laughs> so she died. 11 minutes past 7. The 3rd of March. I just went out on the street. I was walking around the street with no top on. Walking down climate road. In bare feet. And I never wear bare feet. I always have to get on my feet. Because I don't like my feet touching the ground. And then. Then we're a couple of weeks later. A couple of weeks later, at the funeral, there was some, there was some tension with some people. So we'll phone somebody. And uh, the mate, honestly, the guy, not a lot of people used to rate him or anything like that, but the guy's a stand up guy. And, uh, they blamed him for the cousin getting killed. So he was at the funeral. It's every day my mom, since my mum died, he'd come to my house in the morning and say, Darl, do you need me to do anything? Do you need anything? Anything? I said, no, nah, no. Nah. So coming after after the funeral, at the wake, he, he come outside the pub. People shot him at my mum's funeral. Shot him in his leg. So the, the headlines the next day was man shot. At a funeral, funeral mourner shot. You know, one thing that I didn't want to do because I turned my life around in 2011. I worked with kids. I used to go in schools, I used to go in prisons, I used to do everything. And I just wanted my mum to go peaceful. But if, if you knew my mum, my mum would have expected something like that. Do you know? My mum was a soldier. The way she fought, she'd give him three months. She survived 15 months. She was a soldier. Any time we got shot, my mum used to say, your boys are useless. Give me the guts. I'll go and deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> I never, ever thought I'd lose my mum. I thought I'd lose my life before. I lost my mum. It's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing ever. You know what people say it gets easier, man? It's been eight years. It got one bit easier. It got one bit easier at all. What's your life been like since your mum passed in 2015? You know what? It's bad because I went to work on the day my mum died. I said I was going to go. I was going to go. I was going to go do a talk for these kids. And I wasn't going to let them down. So I went there in the evening. I've got the pictures in it. I've got the pictures of my phones in. And it's mad because a few years ago there was a street party and one of the main kids I was trying to reach out to. He was killed. He was killed in a street party. Two people was killed in a street party after carnival. And he was one of them. I was with him on the day my mum died. Cause I wasn't gonna let him down. 
I seen him a few times after that. A few years ago, he got killed. But my life, you know, my life, I, I can't say it's it's been bad since my mum died. Obviously, I'm suffering from grief and things like that. Because, but the opportunities I've had since turning my life around, you know, everything's happened for a reason, I believe. You know, I was in a program called Good Number Six. That would have baffed her. Uh, I've done loads of other programs. I helped the BBC now and then. Uh, I've been to Buckingham Palace and breakfast with Charles and Harry. Uh, I've been to, I spoke in Parliament. And these are places where, when I was in jail, I used to say, I can't get a job. But when these people call me to come and speak at a police conference or something, they have to pay me good money. So who's a winner and who's a loser? Do you know? I was back in the day, in like 16, 17, 18, the police used to beat me up, take me over to the other estate that you mentioned before, mm. beat me up, leave me outside there, stronghold, bib the on and drive off. And then in 2013, I was booked by the police. It was called the Manchester Journey to do a talk about my life and it was like that, yeah, you gotta be honest, you gotta be honest, you gotta tell them this and all that. When they come on the day, they went, Daryl, we're just gonna have questions and answers with you. <laughs> Cause he didn't want the truth. And it's mad because when I was coming out of jail in 2011, some copper, it's mad. Some copper called Paul Miller, he was like the head of Excalibur. He took an interest in me and he gave me the chance you know, because all the police are saying, nah, Daryl can't do this, Daryl can't do that, it's too violent, it's too active, it's too, there's no rehabilitation, but he gave me the chance. And I was living in Liverpool and uh, I was working for an organisation called Cells. We were still very close with and the chair of the trustees took all the money out of the bank. So there was no money for my wages. And the guy, Sean, um, he explained to Greater Manchester Police. The Greater Manchester Police give them my wages for a year. I was only on £96 a week. I was on tax credits as well. But the belief that guy had in me, it was mad. The last time I seen him was on my way to my grand's funeral in 2020 or 2021, the guy from Fink. Uh, and I seen him in a service station buying cigarettes in Birmingham. It's mud because he left the police by now. You know what else is mud about that guy? When my mum was dying, his wife was one of my mum's cancer nurses. Mm. So yeah, my life hasn't my life hasn't been all bad. Obviously, I suffer from depression, PTSD, grief. You know, but there's nothing. There's no pain like grief. You know, I've been shot. I've been stabbed sometimes. You know, there's no pain like grief. Who are you going to see at the moment to help help with your mind, help with the trauma, help with the grief, you know help with PTSD, and just for someone who you can share your mind with, like we're doing now, and and giving you good advice. I've been I've been seeing my doctor on a regular basis, but um, I've been I've been allocated a mental health worker, and I meet them next week on the eighteenth for the first time. Um, There's a brilliant website out there, Daryl called jack, J-A-A-Q.org. For anyone listening out there, 
you've got mental health problems or feeling down or depression or whatever you, it's called Just Ask a Question, jaaq.org, and it's phenomenal. Check it out. Definitely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. It's a company I've invested in as well. It's that good for mental health. Because the world at the moment is a lot of mental health problems going on around. It's just escalating very quickly. A lot of people turn a blind eye to people with mental health. A lot of people don't phone up their friends who've got mental health because they think they're... It's all self brought on. Mm. Do you know it's like suicide? You know, people in suicidal tendencies, because I'm not going to lie, I've took tablets in the last 12 months on three different occasions, hoping not to wake up. I pray to sometimes not to wake up. Mm. But it's like people think because you smile that you're okay. Mm. But people with depression smile. So people have to put on a brave face. Because people don't want to hear it. You know what? But without without the support network, I've got Rome. I've got to shout them out. I have to do that. <laughs> without the twins looking after everything. Explain to me. Explain to me what you're doing today. Because I'm seeing you doing really good stuff around Manchester, walking around and helping I, the, the the youngsters carrying knives. Tell me exactly what you're doing to help and give back. I got I've got an organisation called the Streets Don't Love You Project. Yeah. So I'm going to schools, prisons, youth clubs, talking about knife crime, gun crime, where it starts and where it ends. Um, I go on the streets and engage the kids and tell them the streets don't love you. This ain't the life you want. Look at me, I survived. Look at these people. They're all dead. Do you know? Because when I asked them where are your safest place to stab you, somebody, people say the leg, the arm, the butt cheek. There's no safe place. You've got arteries everywhere. Mm. So I go out, I do some mentoring. I do talks. I just do motivational stuff, train, show them. And the good thing about social media and internet, they can Google me so they know that I'm not chatting shit. Yeah. Do you know? So, yeah. But if it weren't for the twins and base security, and MG Consultants. And I got a new I got a new sponsor, the Light C Manchester. Do you know if it weren't for all them, I wouldn't be able to do this because I don't get funded. Do you know the twins make sure that I'm alright each month? They make sure I've got enough clothes, enough arts, and make sure that my bills are paid. Base security does the same. Be security, my best mate owns it. Everyone thinks I own it, but I don't. It's nothing <laughs> to do with me. Um G&M Consultancy in Scotland. They're, they're a new one that's come on board. What are you noticing today? What are you noticing in Manchester, Liverpool, Birmingham, London today? Because all I'm seeing is that knife crime is just going through the roof bigger than it's ever been. You know what it is? People think people are getting killed with these zombie knives. They're not. They're getting killed with kitchen knives. Hmm. Parents need to start hiding the knives or get knives without points because they're Kids can slash them and, and the nut lessons and we're going to die. Why are they still getting points? What do we need a point on a knife for? Do we need a point on a knife? Because mm. no. we cut with a blade. Mm. And most murders are done with kitchen knives. Do you know parents need to be, nowadays with cost of living, parents have to work to live and live to work and things like that. They need to be taking some time out and speaking to the kids and getting them in activities. Because you know what? 
we ain't got no money for youth clubs, but we've always got money for a six million pound murder trial. We've always got money to send a kid to jail for the rest of his life. When you could have done that work with him for 20 grand, and he could go on to university after being mentored, mm. opening youth clubs. We need to be opening more youth clubs. People need to be going on the street, sharing their experiences. They don't have to be gang members. Just everyone, everyone in this country at some point will be affected by knife crime. Mm. It's like you'll know someone who's been stabbed or you'll know someone, brother mm. or sister. Everyone's going to be affected by yeah. knife crime and it's not going to go away. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Mm. What sentence? Is the maximum sentence you get caught with a knife? Four years if it's just possession. But if you're in a school or a hospital or a library, it goes up to six years. You're not getting, you're not getting a sentence. You're not getting a sentence. You go do three, four times. You're not getting a sentence. Do you know? But these kids need to realise if they stab someone, they go in jail for life. Life isn't twenty five years on computer. Life is ninety nine years. Mm. You might get a twenty five year recommendation, but you don't necessarily mean you're gonna get out. What law? You knowing all this, what law would you bring in today to stop kids carrying knives? What's gonna make them go? I don't want to carry. I don't want to be carrying because if I get caught with this by the old bill, I'm gonna get. Da, 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 da. What would it be? To properly sentence. scare mandatory sentence because that's. When we was active with guns, they brought mandatory sentences five years. People stopped carrying guns then. And went to knives. There's no mandatory sentence. So there's no mandatory sentence for knives? Nope. What what would what, what price would you put on that? What number would you put on that? How many years? I'd say a five year. So five years. If you're caught with a blade, five years bang. Five year. No argument, done. Yeah, five years. Because everybody knows the risks associated with knives. Everybody knows you're gonna kill somebody at some point. And a lot of people get killed with their own knives. But programs like Top Boy doesn't make- Help, don't help, does it? Do you know what? Mm. I, I don't really want to go into it, but I don't know anybody that's gone and killed 30 people, uh, 40 people in the biggest city in England most CCTV in mm. the world had not been arrested. Yeah. When kids see that, they, it glamorizes stuff, in it? How much pain are you carrying around right now with you? How much pain? What, in my head or my body? Everything. To be honest, my left side's, my left side's not good. I had, a, I had a mild stroke last year, November. Last and last week, it's, it's something's reoccurred. Um, my mental health is it's, it's the worst it's ever been, to be honest. But hopefully, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. We've finally been given a mental health worker. Um, my arms, my legs. I don't know if you see when I got up a minute yeah, ago. I did. I did. My legs just they, they go. I've been shot in both legs, in it. So I have to when I wake up in the morning. That's if I go sleep. It's like I have to learn how to walk again. I have to walk on the side and go down the stairs sideways. But you know what? The pain of getting shot is worse than getting stabbed. It's worse than childbirth. But it's like it doesn't stop there. The pain is with you for the rest of your life. And it's not so much the physical pain. It's the mental pain in there, what people can't see. People can't see. What's in my head now?
Do you feel safe? Yeah. yeah. I, do, I, do, I do, because I know the big mum's got me back. How could I have been so, through so much? And yeah, I live in my childhood home. I live in my side. Not many people can say that. Do you know, I feel safe. You, you can say, I, I go everywhere. I go everywhere on my own. I walk anywhere. Because no man can't tell me where to go. The big man, when he tells me it's my time, up. And I know the only time I look over my shoulder is to see how far I've come. Because the big man's got my back. Have you got any advice out there for any kids carrying knives up in Manchester and all the cities around the country? Don't do it. You're going to go to jail for the rest of your life. And you check this out. When you stab one of your ops and you end up in jail, you're going to go there on your own. Your op that you killed or stabbed, he's going to have 20 people in there. And what they're going to do, they're going to pay somebody to do you in. And not only that, people on the out will pay somebody to rape you. That's a God's honest truth. That's what's happening. And kids are filming it now in jail. People do get raped in jail. And now it's like a taking your pride thing away from you. So people on the out will pay for you to get stabbed or raped. And they'll have a video of that. You've got to live with that for the rest of your life because you chose to arm somebody. Don't arm nobody. If you've got beef with somebody, talk it out. Mediation, communication is key. It's the best thing you'll ever do. This is a deep conversation, Daryl. I think you need to get my best mate, Natasha Jonas, on here as well. Yeah, the boxer. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get her on. Love to. She was down here fighting, wasn't she? <laughs> no, she was commentating that night. Oh, commentating, that's yeah. right. You said get her on. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm up for getting her on, definitely. Yeah. Mate, this has been a really powerful, powerful episode, Daryl. And I thank you for your honesty and everything that you brought up. And it hasn't been easy for you. No, it's not. It's going to be on me end all night, though. Yeah. But hopefully... By letting it out of there and getting it out of there will ease a bit of pain, mate. Yeah. And what you're doing for your community is fantastic, by the way. The Streets Don't Love You Project. Anyone out there listening, go and check it out on Instagram. See all the great stuff Daryl's doing trying to get these kids off the streets with knives and guns, etc. Thanks for having me. Is there anything you want to say just to finish off here, Daryl? Uh, just listen to your mum. Don't risk your life for your friends. Live your life for your mum, your brothers, your sisters, your family. Because your friends are going to buy a t-shirt saying, rest in peace, Daryl. And when that fades, so does their memory. Do you know? They're not going to keep your grave. They're not going to give your mum some of the seven grand it costs to bury her. Do you know? Don't risk your life. Why do you own, do you own property on these postcodes that you're beefing over? No, you don't. Wow. Daryl, I appreciate you coming all the way down here, mate. Nice one. Yeah, really do appreciate it. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. Anyone out there can help help what you're doing and help your mind. As mate, I'll definitely go and check that check it out straight away. Nice one, folks. Right yeah. Nice one. Good man, Daryl. Thanks. Good man. Thanks.